Thank you so much for joining us at Remnant Church Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more or support this ministry, please go to remnantchurch.church. And now, the message from Pastor Caleb. I want to thank you for being here today. It means so much to me for you to be here. I understand why maybe some others can't be here in person. But there's something about preaching to people that you can see that's different than preaching to those beautiful purple chairs out there. It's just different. And in the future, I'm going to go back over the passage in Hebrews that talks about being together because it's so important. For those of us who can't, those of you who can't be here in person, I hope you are watching online and you're here today. Even if you're in your living room, in your underwear, you're here today. I want to start a new series starting out this year. And I don't, did I tell you, I don't know what's going to happen this year. Did I tell you that? But I know one thing. God has called us to be kingdom builders. No, no matter what's going on or no matter what we're going to face, what pandemic we may face, God has called us to build the kingdom. And I believe for us to go forward, we must go back. We must remember who God called us to be and what God has called us to do. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? We got to remember who God called us to be and what God has called us to do. And He has called it no matter what comes our way. He has called us to build His kingdom. See, I still believe that saved people serve people. And sometimes serving people is uncomfortable. Sometimes serving people is not convenient. Sometimes living for God is not convenient. But God has called me to serve Him and to live for Him and to build His kingdom. That's what God's called me to do. Point blank. It's settled. It's done. God has called all of us to build His kingdom. What does that mean? What does it mean to build the kingdom of God? It means to tell your story. To get to tell people what God has done for you, how He saved you. It's to win souls to the kingdom. That's how you build it. One soul at a time. How do you build it? You build it by encouraging others. You can build it by like we're coming to church together this morning. We're building each other up. You see, because we're going through the same thing. See, the Bible says don't think it's strange when you enter into trials. We're all in trials. We're all going through the same thing. It may look a little different, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing and we need each other. We need each other. It's more than a slogan. We're better together. God looked at Adam. He was alone and he said he needs somebody. From the beginning to today, we need each other. So we build the kingdom together. Not separate, but together. That's who God's called us to be. That's what God has called us to do. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at the book of Nehemiah. 
You can go ahead and turn there. It's an Old Testament book. Today, the title of my message is The Problem, the Prayer, the Project, and the Opposition. I'm going to break down six chapters of Nehemiah. I'm not going to read all six chapters, but I'm going to break all six chapters down. And the way I want to break it down is in that order. The problem, Nehemiah had a problem. Then Nehemiah prayed the prayer. Then I want to look at the project. God called Nehemiah to do something. And then I want you to understand that even when God calls you to do something, it doesn't mean you will not have the enemy attacking you. I want to let you in on the opposition because Nehemiah had opposition. Let me break this down a little bit to just give you some background. Nehemiah is in Babylon. At this time, he is what the Old Testament would call a cupbearer. Maybe we would call it a head chef for the king in Babylon. But 800 miles away is a place called Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem... In Jerusalem, uh, this is God's promised land. This is God's promised people. He promised the people of Jerusalem, I've given you this land. But some, the people of Jerusalem uh, turned their back on God and, and began to serve false gods. And, uh, and the enemy came in and tore down their walls and destroyed their city. And then Babylon took control. And all the people of Jerusalem were exiled out of Jerusalem to Babylon. Seventy years later, they would say, okay, all those who want to come back can come back. And out of three million people, only 50,000 came back. The Bible calls that the remnant. And 50,000 of these people came back and they came back to Broken down walls, a torn down city, a torn down temple. And because the walls were torn down around the city, which was the greatest defense of any city, was their walls, they were easy pickings for the enemy. So they would constantly live in fear. Things would be stolen from them. Things would be, they would be attacked at, at night and because they didn't have a wall. Well, someone from Judah came to Nehemiah and told Nehemiah what was going on. Now I want you to look in chapter 1, verse 1. During the month of Chislev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers arrived with men from Judah. And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Here's the problem. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Here's the problem. The city has been destroyed. The walls have been torn down. And I want to tell you, I can see a lot of similarity here in our country. But not only that, spiritually, I can see this in our homes. Hello, somebody. The walls around our homes, around our families, have been torn down. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Spiritually, we're having problems. And we can call it whatever we want to. We can give it a pill and call it a disease or whatever you want to do. You can say, I'm born that way. However it is, there is an issue. And the issue has always and will always be sin. Sin will tear down the walls. Sin will destroy walls. Sin will destroy your family. Do you hear me? You can't give sin an inch. You can't give sin an ounce. You can't give sin anything. If you give sin a a foothold, it will take over your life. The problem was Jerusalem's walls had been broken down. Its gates had been burned. And let me tell you something. The state of the people and the state of the walls are connected. And I want to show you how. An unwalled city usually had nothing of value in it. And if it did, it was easily stolen away because there was no defense to stop it. Those living in an unwalled city lived in constant, hear me now, this is important. Those who lived in an unwalled city lived in constant fear and stress. Why? Because they knew they were about to be attacked and they had no defense. Let me, the old timers, old school, they used to pray like this. I pray a hedge of protection. A wall. I can remember my mama praying a hedge around her children. A wall around her children. And I'm telling you, those who don't have a wall around them, those who don't know Christ, those who don't know Jesus, they, all, they should live in constant fear. They should live in constant tension and worry because they have no defense against the devil. And can I remind you what the devil still wants to do? He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. But God gave us Jesus so that we might have life and life more abundant. No wonder they lived in stress and, stress and tension. They had no walls. Another reason they lived in stress and tension and no wonder is because the Bible says they call them survivors. And we often look, you know, that's a good term. But I, in this sense, it's not such a good term because God didn't call us just to survive. Romans 8 chapter 37 said, I've made you more than a conqueror. In Christ Jesus. This is who God has called us to be. Not just survive. Not just get by. Not just make it through. But God has called us to thrive. The problem was the walls were torn down. The city had been burned. Verse 4 says, When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned. And I want to say this. There is a time to mourn. But there's also a time to rejoice. I want to be careful how I say this. But some of you need to stop mourning. You need to stop crying over what didn't work. Or what didn't happen. Or what didn't do. It didn't happen like you thought it was going to happen. And you're still sitting in your past, mourning what could have been. God told, God, told, uh, God told Samuel, the prophet, 
He said, how long are you going to mourn after Saul? Saul had taken, God had taken his hand off of Saul because of Saul's moral failure. And Samuel, the prophet who anointed Saul as king, is mourning and weeping over what could have been. Samuel's weeping over what could have been. And God said, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? What he was saying is, I've got something better for you. Your best days are not behind you. 2020 didn't take everything from you. You still got a God. You still got a risen Savior. You still got a promise. And if, if, if God tarries, you've still got a today. And that's the greatest gift you could ever have because His mercies are new every morning. Are you listening to me this morning? Because see, I need somebody to come alongside of me and say, Pastor, I got your back. Pastor, I'm with you. Pastor, I'm standing with you. I believe this with you. Our best days are not behind us, but ahead of us. So he mourned. But he didn't stay there. The problem pushed him to prayer. That's my second point, the prayer. His problem moved him to pray. And I want you, I want you to look what he said. I'm just going to point it out. You can, go, you, can, you can go through it here in verse 4. On down to verse 11. And I want to point out five things in this prayer. The first thing, he prayed to the God of heaven. And the reason that's important is because he was living in a foreign land with foreign people who served foreign gods. But he knew who he was and he knew who his God was. And he cried out to the God in heaven. The God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. The God of his forefathers. The God that he knew that split the Red Sea, you see. The God that tore down the walls of Jericho was the same God that could build up the walls of Jerusalem. He knew that his God. He knew who he was. He knew the victories that he had provided. He knew how God could make a way out of no way. He knew how God could restore relationships. And I'm talking to somebody right now. He, listen, I want to remind you, the same God that you serve today is the same God that brought you out yesterday. It's the same God. He's still the healer. He's still the deliverer. He's still the God who works miracles. He's still the God that saved your soul. He prayed to the God of heaven. Then he prayed, oh God, Hear me. Oh, that was desperation. And you know what? Sometimes you got to get desperate with God. You got to put aside all the other options, all the other plans, and you know that the only way these things are going to happen and God's going to move is if you pray. That only God can do it. And he began to pray to the God of heaven. And then in humility, he cried out, God, do you hear me? Have you ever prayed to God and said, God, you hear me, right? You've been desperate. God, you do hear what I'm saying, right? Hear your servant. Then verse, and then number three. This is in verse six. He confessed. He began to repent. 
I never get in the presence of God and it not cause me to repent. I never find myself in the presence of God and think, man, I got it all together. No, when I get in the presence of God and I feel the presence of God, it makes me want to repent because I know I'm in, a, I'm in the presence of a holy God. I'm not saying I'm trying to get saved over again. I'm just saying I, when I stand in the goodness of God, I realize how weak and feeble I am. He confessed. And after he confessed in verse 8, I love this. He said, please remember. Please remember what you said. You want to pray a powerful prayer? You get desperate with God. You start repenting. And then you start reminding God. In your word, you said if I do this, you would do that. He said, if we repent, you said, God, you said that you, those people who were scattered, he said, you, you told me, God, in your word that you would bring them all back. Does this sound like today or what? Huh? Does this sound like today or what? If we would repent and confess and call out to you those who were scattered, God, you said you would bring them back, God. You said, God, if we would preach Jesus, if we would lift up your name, that you would draw all men unto yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It drove him to prayer. And then verse five, he said, God, give me favor. And I'm telling you, one ounce of favor of God will do what all the money in the world can't do. Favor of God, the favor of God will open doors for you that shouldn't be open. The favor of God will get, give you relationships with people that you don't think you should have relationships with people. With. The favor of God moves mountains. And he said, God, give me favor. Why? Why did he want favor? Because God had called him to do something, not just pray. You see, faith without works is dead. If you have a faith that never causes you to step out on the water, if you have a faith that never causes you to step out and trust God, then you don't have this faith I'm talking about this morning. Faith without works is dead. Listen, he just didn't pray about it and pray for somebody else to step up. He didn't pray. It's easy to pray for someone to do what God's called you to do. And maybe that's what's wrong with the church today. Everybody's praying for somebody else to step up. When God's calling you to step up, when God's calling you to do something, he's calling you to do, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, and it may be this church too. Has God called you to do something yet you don't want to do it? It's too hard, it's too great, it's too big. That's why you gotta pray for favor. God, give me favor to do what you've called me to do because I know I can't do it on my own. He said, give me favor. Why? Because he knew he had a project. 
So we move from the problem to the prayer. Then Nehemiah says, give me favor because what I'm fixing to do, I can't do on my own. Nehemiah goes to the king, the king of Babylon. Remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer, the chef. Did I tell you that? And he goes to the king and he says, listen, my home, 800 miles away from here, Jerusalem, I got word that the walls are burnt down. Now, this is not a believer. This king is a, serves foreign gods. But he had favor. But Nehemiah had favor. He wasn't standing alone. He was standing with God. He said, the walls have been torn down. The city is in ruins. And I need to go do something about it. The king says, fine. He gives him permission. Then he says, it's 800 miles away. Do you think you could help us get there? Maybe talk to some of the governors in the region. And the king says, sure. He gives him a passport. Now he's giving him permission. He's giving him a passport. And he says, now king, it's 800 miles away. It's a long way to go. He says, not only will I give you a passport, I'll give you power. I'll give you some chariots. I'll give you an entourage. I said, I hate to ask you, but since we're on a roll, I ain't got any wood to build everything back with. He said, no problem. I'll give you the timber to build it. God has given Nehemiah, this supernatural favor. And everything seems to be going good. And you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, and you can see everything's good. They make this four-month, 800-mile journey. Uh, and now Nehemiah is meeting with the, the priest and the people of Jerusalem. And he's telling them, listen, in verse 18, he says, listen, I told him about the gracious hand of my God and how he'd been on me. And he told him what the king said to him and all the king done. And you know what they said? They said, wow, that's amazing. Let's start rebuilding these 50,000 people that were in Jerusalem. They said, let's start building. That sounds great. I know God's on our side. And they're full of faith and they're ready to go and everything's going good. Then here comes the opposition. Just one verse later. Verse 19, then Sanballat. That even sounds bad. This even sounds worse. The Horonite. That sounds bad too. San, uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. They heard about this. They heard what was going on. And the Bible says they begin to Laugh. They begin to mock. Verse 19. They begin to talk about them. Laugh at them. I want to say something. If you're doing something for God, 
everybody isn't going to be for you. If everybody is not going to be for God's plan in your life, and hear me, if everybody is for it, you may want to rethink it. Because I think we can learn something here that sometimes our critics, the voices of our critics validate God's vision for our lives. I need somebody telling me, you can't do that. You ain't smart enough. They think they're doing something to hurt me, but they're actually helping me. You can't do that. You ain't smart enough to do that. You don't know how to do that. Your church can't do that. You can't build that. You can't go there. You can't say that. I need somebody to tell me that I can't do it because all it does is remind me, that's right, I can't do it, but me and God can do it. Me and God can go there. Me and God can say, y'all ain't hearing me this morning. Our critics, their voices validate God's plan. You don't think, oh, no, maybe I can't do it. No, you can't. You can't do it. From the beginning, let me tell you something. If God calls you to do something, you can't do it on your own. It's got to be a God thing. You're going to need to pray. (laughs) And you're going to need to repent. And you're going to need to remind God what he said. And you're going to need the favor of God. Here's the thing about your critics, your opposition, Satan, the enemy. He's not going to come at you just once. See, the Bible says in James, submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. But let me tell you something. In Caleb chapter 1, verse 1, pick up on it. But he will come back. He will come back. You can resist him. You can submit yourself unto God. But you can be assured that he will come back. He tempted Jesus three times. We're fixing to read here where he comes with one temptation, one request to Nehemiah five times. Your opposition will be steady. We moved Nehemiah chapter four, and the opposition is continuing. In fact, they got a plan now. Tobiah, Geshem, Sanballat. They got a plan to attack Jerusalem while they're building. And Nehemiah, chapter 4. I want you to go to verse 14. In Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 14, he gathers all the people together. The people of Jerusalem. He gathers them together. And he begins to give them a speech. He knew what was going on. He knew there was an attack about to take place. And he said, I want you to remember why you're fighting. You got it up there? There 
I want you to remember, that's it, why you're fighting. I want to remember the God, I want you to remember the God that you're fighting with and fighting for. I want, to remember, I want you to remember the God who's with you. Then I want you to remember who you're fighting for. Now you better listen. He says your brethren, that's your community. I want you to remember why you're building the kingdom. Why we got a church here. What made you come to this church? Hey, you who are watching, what made you come to this church? Was it charisma? Was it because we had the niceness of everything? Because we didn't. We had a broke down sound system. A mortgage we couldn't pay. What made you come to this church? When you walked through the doors, what made you keep coming back? It was because you knew we were serious about winning people to Jesus. And we didn't care what they looked like. We didn't care what they smelt like. We didn't care where they'd been or what they'd done. We opened the door for everybody, gay, straight, black, or white. It did not matter. You come into this church and we'll preach Jesus and Jesus will change your life. That's what we preach. And that's what we still preach. Why do we build the walls? Why is it worth rebuilding the walls? Why is it worth rebuilding the city? Because there's friends in our community every day who are dying and going to hell. We ought to be building. He told the people, he said, listen, I want you to build day in and day out, night in and night out. And I want you to build with one hand, have a trial in one hand, and I want you to have a sword in the other. Because while you're building, the enemy's going to try to attack you. He's going to try to cause division. He's going to come against you. But while you're building, you're going to fight. You're going to fight the devil. You're going to fight doubt. You're going to fight the enemy. Help me, somebody. He said, I want you to have a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. He said, I want you to build the walls for your community. But he didn't stop there. Stay there. I want you to build the wall for your community. I want you to build the wall for your children. You better hear me. There ain't, there's a society that's trying to teach your children how to think and how to live and tell them they can choose what gender they are. What a hellacious, stupid, idiotic, asinine thought that is. Telling you how to live, where you should go, and what you should do. Friend, you better hear me. If you don't teach your children, if you don't build the walls around your children, if you don't build the walls around your family, somebody else will, and they'll wall you slap out, and you won't even know who they are, and they won't respect you, and they won't know the God that you serve. And they'll go to hell. That's how important it is. I wish everybody was hearing me this morning. 
to build the walls around your children so that they can know the God we preach about, the God we talk about, and the God we sing about, and the God we live for. Build it for your children. Why are we building the kingdom? How do we build it? We build it with obedience. We build it with prayer. We build it down on our knees. We build it by serving him, telling our story. He said, I want you to build the walls around your community. This is why we fight. We fight for our community. Can you see them with a trowel in one hand? These aren't skilled fighters. They're builders. They got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And Nehemiah standing up here. And he's telling them the reason why you fight is for your family. You're not fighting for me. You're fighting because you've been called by God. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting for your children. You're fighting for your home. You're building walls around your family. Walls are, this is why we fight. You know what they've done? They may have done it nervous, Chris. Some of the greatest things I've done for the Lord, I've done it nervous. They may have done it with their trials shaking and their swords, swords shaking, but they knew they weren't alone. They knew they'd been commissioned by God and they didn't stop and they got back. Oh, they heard the threats. They, heard, they knew there was opposition. They didn't know when they were coming, but they had heard they were coming, that the attack was coming and they'd done what God called them to do. They didn't quit. They didn't run away. They did not show up. But they knew if they would show up, God would show out. If they would show up, God would do the rest. If they'd keep on building, God would keep on protecting. If they'd keep on fighting, God would keep on fighting for them. If they'd keep on walking, God would keep on walking out in front of them. If they'd keep on believing, God would keep on doing what he said he would do. The opposition didn't stop there. Let me tell you what happened though. They heard, the enemy heard that they knew that attack, an attack was about to take place. So they decided not to attack them. But let me tell you something. If Satan can't destroy you, he'll spend the rest of your life trying to distract you. You better write that down. If he can't destroy you, He'll spend the rest of your life trying to distract you, to limit your impact for the kingdom of God, to get you busy about things that don't matter, to get you to focus on things that don't matter, to get you to back up when you should be moving forward. You hear me? If he can't destroy you, He'll distract you. Why did you preach this message, Pastor? Because I'm preaching to some distracted people. Something happened and it has distracted you. 
I know because I've been distracted before. Stood up here and preached every Sunday. Distracted. I led worship. Distracted. You've come to church before. Come on, somebody. Distracted. During the week. Distracted. And the opposition comes back to Nehemiah again. Now the walls are almost finished. Everything is done in chapter 6 except the gates. We read that while Nehemiah was working, Sanballat and Gisham, yeah, they're still around, sent a message. This is what the message said in chapter 6, verse 2. Hey, Nehemiah, how about us, let's get together in the village of Ono. Why don't we go down to the plain of Ono? Somebody say that, that ain't a good idea. Oh no. He didn't say he's going to harm me. He said, man, well, let's get together. I've had a change of heart. I'd like to talk to you. But Nehemiah had discernment from the Holy Spirit. He said, they don't want good for me. They want to do me harm. I want to tell somebody this morning, you're still getting some calls from people who live in Ono. And you answer them. Some of you getting messages from Ono and you're reading them. Some of you still riding by her house just seeing what she's doing. And you married. Oh no. Some of you still smoking things from oh no, drinking things from oh no, rubbing up on things from oh no, shacking up with things from oh no, thinking everything's going to be all right. And I'm telling you it ain't. Going to Ono when you ain't from Ono. Can I remind you who you are? You are a child of the Most High God. That you got royal blood flowing through your veins. And this world is not your home. And there's some things you don't need to answer to anymore. Places you don't need to go anymore. Things you don't need to say anymore. You need to get way down in your spirit. You need to tell hell. Hell, no, I ain't going to oh no, not today, nor tomorrow. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Because there ain't nothing good that comes from oh no. I ain't never been to oh no and said everything's all right. No, it's all been bad. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Has anybody ever spent the night at oh no? He said, I'm not entertaining your thoughts. This is what he said. Listen, I'm talking about distraction this morning. 
Remember, if he can't destroy you, he'll distract you. But look what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said in verse 3, So I sent messengers unto them saying, I love this. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. If I come down, the work will cease. Why should I stop the work to come down to you? Basically what he said, let me put it in the LSV, Lancaster Standard Version. He said, I ain't got time to fool with you. But if you, some of y'all can learn that, I ain't got time. There's some folks that's been wanting to argue with you, and they argue with you about the same thing over and over again, and you'll go three months without arguing with them because you, you just, and it ain't about, listen, it ain't about cutting them off, but it's about putting up some boundaries in your life because, the, see, see, it ain't them, it's him. It's not him, the, him, Satan. Because the Bible says that, listen, it's not, a, it's not against flesh and blood, it's, but it's a spirit thing. So you're either working for God or you're working for Satan. And that's some same folks wanting to distract you. And you think, I don't know why they keep on messing with me. Why they keep on bothering me. Why they want to keep on bringing up things that happened 10 years ago. Some of them are family members. And listen, they're being used by the enemy to distract you. To distract you. And you need to get this down in your spirit. I just ain't got time for this. Because God's called me to do something greater. It don't mean I don't love you. It don't mean we can't talk about other things. But I'm not going to sit here and waste time casting my pearls before swine, the Bible says. Because it's a distraction. Some of you have been watching the news for so long. You're starting to look like the news anchors. And you know what? You're more than informed. You're distracted. You are distracted. You now are living in fear. It consumes you. Instead of waking up and opening up your word, you wake on it, you wake up and turn on the world. And I'm preaching this morning. Don't nobody want to hear it. Don't nobody want to hear it. Y'all don't want to hear it. But instead of opening up the word, you could flip, find a remote and turn on the world. And you're letting the world govern you how you should think, how you should feel, and what you should believe. That's the spirit of Ono. Oh it comes from a place of Ono. Oh I want you to look at me real good and hear me real good as I close. God has called us. I don't know what's going to happen. I've said this now multiple times. I'm going to say it again. I, I don't know what is going to happen in 2021. But I know when it happens what I'll be doing. <laughs> I tell you, I'm preaching real good this morning. I don't know what will happen. I don't know when it happens. But when it happens, I know what I'll be doing. I'm going to be building the kingdom. Yes. 
But this is way too great of a work for me to try to build by myself. Forget it. I need you to help me. Look at me. I need us to come to do this together. Some of you are better with a trial than I am. Some of you are better with a sword than I am. But all of us together can do something amazing. It goes on in chapter 6, and I'm sorry I didn't get to share this with the 9 o'clock service, but it goes on to say in chapter 6 that they, wait a minute, I remember something. Before what I'm talking about, a little before then, you know what they do? Since he can't get him to go to Ono, you know what they do? They get a guy who pretends to be a prophet. Now they're using religion. And he pretends to be a prophet and he prophesies a false prophecy to Nehemiah to try to get him to quit and to be scared. Oh boy. To be intimidated. Don't build the kingdom. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not go to, I think it'd be a best good idea just the whole church thing. Let's take six months off and then see what it looks. I ain't got six months to take off. And I ain't talking about money, friend. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about a spiritual, spiritual condition of man. <clears throat> Tried to intimidate him with religion. And I see a lot of that going on right now. You really love God, you wouldn't be meeting together. You really love people and love God, you just stay at home. Now, I don't talk about people that stay at home, but I don't need nobody from home talking about people who come to church. That spirit, man, if you can't see this, messages today. Is applicable today. But then after that, what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah said, you ain't from God. You're just a punk. I've dealt with y'all before. You must, you must have been talking to Geshem and Tobiah and Samballah. Y'all have the same spirit. He just said, y'all ain't got time for you. And then you know what he done? He went back up the building and they finished the walls. In 52 days. Why is that important? After that it said, there was no way. Everybody, all the enemies, they had never seen anything this big built in that short a time. And you know what they said? It had to be God. So you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry if I bored some of you this morning. It happens. 
What I'm saying today is we can't afford to be distracted. Because, see, if you don't understand what's going on, you're going to be swept away. The Bible says tossed about with every wind of doctrine. You're going to get distracted by the devices of the devil if you don't get a sure footing and get anchored in God's word and remember who you are. You're a kingdom builder and what you're called to do, you're called to build the kingdom. What's at stake? Your family, your children, your friends, your community. So I'm asking you, and we got three more weeks of this. I'm asking you to get behind this. Refocus, realign, repent. And let God refresh you so that you can pick up your trial. You, you, you may have forgot where you put it, but God will help you remember where it's at. It's right there. Grab it. Grab the sword. And let's get back to work. Because whatever happens is going to happen. And when it happens, let it find me building the kingdom of God, being a kingdom builder. Stand with me all across the building. Let me pick this up. So let me ask you. Let me ask you. Do you need to repent? Have you been distracted? I'm, I go, I'll be honest with you. It's easy to go from distracted, undistracted, distracted, un, yeah, distracted, not distracted. Right? Let me, let me, right? It's easy because Satan's always at work. The Bible says he's stalking around, seeking whom he may devour. So when you're not working, he's working. When you're working, he's working. So I want to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed, what's the distraction in your life? What's the, what's the oh no in your life? What is it? We all got it. And if it doesn't have us right now, it'll get us. Because it's one of those things that easily trips us up. What is it? Maybe, maybe the Lord spoke to you when I talked about turning, waking up, turning on the world instead of waking up and opening up the Word. Maybe that spoke to you. What did the Holy Spirit speak to you today? Lord knows I preach long enough. What did he speak to you today? What did he say? Now what are you going to do with it? Maybe you need to write it down. Maybe this is what the Lord spoke to me and you need to put it in your notes and your phone. I don't know. 
But even in my office this morning before I left to come in here between services, can I be real with you? I was real when you came to this church. I was, I've been real for five, five, almost six years now. I thought, man, if there was ever a time for us to be on fire for God and dragging people into the building, it would be now. And then really without saying anything to my wife, but distracted by discouragement, I said this, you know, just real vague. I just, this is, I just don't get this. But what I was really saying, even after I had just preached what I just preached now, I was basically saying, this is just too big. So see, I know what it's like to suffer with distraction. But I also know what God says. And I also know what He promised. And I know He's given us a project. He's called us to touch the world from Waycross, Georgia. And to be that church that says, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you've said. Where you've been, what you've done, how long you've done. It, none of that matters. Come home. And for us to go forward, we got to go back and remember who we are. And that's who we are. That's who God's called us to be as a church. That's what God has called us to be as a people. I don't, can't think of any finer time than 2021 to be that person. So let's pray, Father. We repent as a people and as a church. I want to start off right. We don't want distraction to detour us from the destiny that you have planned for our lives. So God, we repent of distraction. We, that means we make a change. If we got to get it out of our house, we got to get it out of our house. If we got to turn it off, we turn it off. If it means there's some people that we just can't let speak into our lives anymore, then that's just something we're going to have to do. Boundaries we're going to have to set up. There's some things we're going to have to say no to. There's some things we're going to have to say no to. There's so much at stake. Our family, our children, our spouses, our community. God, you didn't, I don't know what you called other people to do, but I know what you called us to do. God, when you come back for your children, may you find us building your kingdom. May you find us being a kingdom builder. Father God, we thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do, God, in our lives and in this church. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at me real quick because I don't want to leave this service without giving you opportunity. Let me ask you, what are you building? What are you, what are you building? If you're not building the kingdom, what are you building? 
Whatever it is, it'll be torn down. Because the only thing that'll stand is the work we do for the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you, what are you building? Are you saved? Have you accepted the Lord as your personal Savior? Do you know Jesus? Do you? Do you know the one who died for you and rose again for you? Do you know him? Because if you don't know him, 2021, right now, the first Sunday of this year will be a great time to say, hey, I want to receive Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I'm not only distracted, but I'm deceived because I haven't been serving God. I don't know Jesus, and I want to know him. If there's anybody in this room right now and you say, I, I want to know Jesus. I want, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're maybe you've backslid. That's a word that means you just are not going forward in God. You've been going backwards. You've been you've been you've been distracted on a, in a on a level that has really just caused you not to serve God. You haven't been living for God. You say that's me. Every, one more time, every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to shoot your hand up right now and say, that's me. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, I've seen those hands. You've seen those hands. And I want us to all pray together. Pray together. Let's pray it. Let's say this together. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me of all my sin. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your mercy. Come into my life. I want to serve you. I'm going to live for you. I want to make you number one in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and rising again for me so that I can live forever, so that I can have peace, so that I can have joy. Today, I'm saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you this morning for being here. Thank you for being a part of this service. This week, I'm going to ask you to keep the trial out. Definitely keep your sword out. And let's build the kingdom of God by sharing our testimony, telling others about Jesus. The Bible says, go into the highways, the hedges, to compel them to come in. So I want you to compel them. Here's the good news, you know. We got a lot of empty seats. We didn't have that this time last year. So we got room to build the kingdom. Okay? God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next week. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. If you were, please feel free to share on social media, subscribe, or leave us a review. We can't wait for you to join us here again.